I, Lord, remove myself out of, your, out of the way. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. Father God, every soul is important to you. And I pray, Father, that you would break the hard ground this morning and that the seed will fall on ground that is pliable. Father, only you can do what we can't do. You know, Lord, we confess that we are totally dependent upon you. Lord, I, I am just your servant. I'm just the delivery man this morning. I just kind of align myself up and, and, and Lord, I'm a conduit this morning to what you want to say. So, Father, just speak through me this morning. Let the people see none of me and all of you, that the word of the Lord might go forth with tremendous power, bringing forth fruit unto everlasting life and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been talking about tested faith or faith under fire. This is part four of our installment. By way of review, we had talked in week number one, we had dealt with how that when you go through a trial, we had looked at the children of Israel, how that when God had brought them out of the wilderness, out of the house of bondage, when God had brought them out and how that they were celebrating and they were rejoicing because of the great things that God had done. But then once they found themselves in the wilderness of life and they had to trust God when they found themselves in situations that the food wasn't readily available, that the water wasn't quite there when they wanted it, that they talked about how that they wanted to go back to the old way of living. And we talked about the importance of pressing into your blessing, pressing into your land of promise, because we talked about how that the obstacles and the trials that we go through are really there to condition us for what God wants to do in our life. How I many know when you get to your land of promise, you, there's a place called sustained blessing? How I many you want to be in that place of sustained blessing? Week two, we talked about why. You ever ask God that question? Why, God? Why me? We had spotlighted the life of Habakkuk, who was a prophet of God, who had saw the injustice in his land. He had saw the, the violence. He had saw the wickedness that there was no justice in the street. And he had been crying out and praying to God. And it seemed like God was not hearing him. And so Habakkuk got to a point that he began to say, how long, God? How long do I have to cry out to you before you do something about my situation? And uh, we discovered that Habakkuk decided to, to take some time to carve out so that he could seek the face of God. And God gave him direction and God gave him assurance. And we talked about the fact that God may not always answer your why, but he will always give you direction on what's the next step to take. Week number three, we talked about, which was last week, we dealt with the ultimate test. You know, you've heard me talk so often about how that as a young Christian that I wanted to stay away from the book of Job because I saw that Job was an upright and righteous man. He did everything right, but, but, but yet he still had to endure some things, lost his family, lost his health, found himself in a place of wilderness. I mean, a, a place where he was just, just seeking God, wanting to get some answers. The devil had unleashed his attack on Job. And one would think that having Job having to deal with what he dealt with, that one would think that he would have just thrown in the towel. But even through everything that Job dealt with, Job did not curse God, and he did not throw in the towel. 
But Job pressed on to his blessing, and we discovered last week that Job received double for his trouble, that Job was more blessed at his latter than he was in his former because Job endured the test. You see, God is always, isn't it good to know that our life is just not existing? Every single day in the kingdom of God, we are being refined. We are being tested in some area of our life. And how you respond in those tests and trials will determine your next level in God. God will never take you to another level till you learn to master the level that you're at. Why should he? Because we couldn't know how to handle it. And so what God does is God puts us in situations. Why do I say he put us there? Because he's sovereign. He can move us someplace else. He can do something a little bit different. Can he not? And if he doesn't, then that means that God's saying, I want you to stay right where you are because I am teaching you some things. I am revealing some things to you. I am going to take you to a whole nother level in God. And so today, we're going to spotlight the life of the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sound like those were brothers from the hood, don't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the book of Daniel, Daniel was a, a prophet of God. Daniel had foresight that he, well, he was a, a gifted prophet that he could see and determine dreams and visions. He, no doubt, was a man of conviction that oftentimes when people read the, want to read about the last time, they parallel the book of Daniel with the book of Revelation because Daniel spoke about a lot of the things that's going to unfold in the last time. This brother had a tremendous and significant gift that was given to him by Almighty God. And this story kind of takes place, the book of Daniel, back in 605 B.C. The children of Israel were exiled from their land of promise. God had always said to the children of Israel, if you fail to obey me, if you, if you go on and you worship other gods, if you don't obey my commandments and, and worship me and serve me with all of your heart, then the land that I have placed you is going to vomit you up. And so here the people of God, had Judah, had found themselves being exiled out of their land of promise because of their disobedience. And how many know when God says he's going to do something, he usually what? Does it. It's just, just kind of like his M.O. A God ain't going to say something, not do it. He, he, he's faithful. And sometimes that's to our good. It's always to our good. Let's just leave it at that. So they find themselves in a place where they are exiled. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a, a strange land. And because of the wisdom of Daniel and his three friends, the wisdom and the knowledge and their good looks, these men were chosen to be trained in the ways of the Babylonians. And they were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezriah. These were the four that were chosen to serve in the king's court. These were the same men who had such a conviction of heart that they find themselves in a strange land, and Daniel decided they were commanded that they had to eat the king's meat. And back in those days, when, when there was a command to eat the king's meat, you, you're supposed to do what the king said, because if you did not do what the king said, it could mean your life. Daniel and his three friends decided that they were not going to defile themselves with the king's meat, and so they didn't eat it. You're talking about conviction, and you're talking about faith. Being in a place in a strange land, and you don't do what the king says, knowing that your life is hanging in the balance. These men had tenacity of faith. They were renamed. Daniel was named Belshazzar, and Hananiah was named Shadrach, and Mishael was named Meshach, and Ezra was named Abednego. 
And so we're going to be reading in Daniel chapter number three this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading Daniel chapter number uh, one through verses 18. I'm going to kind of skip a little bit because this is quite a bit. But I think I need to read it because it really speaks to the context of what I'm talking about. I was actually, when I was preparing for this, I was trying real hard to, to try to condense this a little bit. But it's kind of hard to do. So just follow with me. Uh, Daniel, uh, chapter number three, and we're going to start reading in verse number one. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image. Everybody say image. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and six in its width, six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the providence of Babylon. And the king and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image. Everybody say image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Watch this. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces, everybody gathered together for the dedication of the image. Everybody say image. That the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image. Everybody say image. That Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that at that time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whosoever or whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Look at verse number eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. <laughs> they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. That means a law. That means you had no option. That everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar enraged. Well, let's look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and <laughs> fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, it is, it, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, in other words, he's going to give them a second chance. <laughs> if you are ready, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who... And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Watch this. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we ain't even got to think about this thing. We've already determined what we're going to do. <laughs> he said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able. Look at the neighbor and say able. Able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now here the Hebrew boys find themselves in this situation. One of the things I like about them is that they did not give in to the pressure to bow to the image. You know, we live in a in a culture today where everybody follows the next guy. But how many know that that you know that there's a thing called the blind leading the blind? And one of the things about the Hebrew boys is that they had a conviction of soul. And that even though everybody else, how many know that everybody else was falling down and worshiping the image? That it would have been easy for them, knowing that not only that their life was threatened, hey, to go down and to bow and to worship. But these men looked the king in the face and said, King, I, I, I don't really know um, how this is going to turn out, but, but I need you to know something. We're not going to bow down to your image. How many know that that's radical faith? And if we're going to touch, touch the next generation, and we're going to be those that's going to make an impact for the kingdom of God, we have to have the kind of tenacity of faith that these three boys said that no matter what, I am not going to compromise the word of God and what God has told me to do. If that means, king, that you're going to threaten my life. Are you with me? And so these boys are in this these boys are in this place where they're being challenged. But see, but they did not give in to what the, the pressure that was around them to give in to it and to bow down and to worship. They didn't do it. You see, because what does the image represent? I want you to think for a minute. You know, let them cry. We'll be okay. Just, just, just follow me. Think about this. The gold image. I want you to keep saying image because we were going somewhere with image. See, the image represents something that is usually very appealing, the image. Every one of us from time to time have to deal with whether or not we are going to bow down to the image. See, in this particular context, the image, it, it presents itself like it's the answer to all of your problems. But in reality, it's not. You see, the image is that thing that will abort your destiny and lead you on a course outside of the will of God. But yet it presents itself like, hey, it's the best thing for you. Isn't that how the enemy works? You see, the image represents the destruction of destiny and purpose and the thing that God has set for you to do in the earth. It is the image. And one would say it would have been easy for them to bow down to the image. But they understood that it was more than just bowing down to an image. They understood that to bow down to the image was to worship another God. And how many know they weren't nowhere near going even near that? Because, see, they, they understood that. See, everybody has to wrestle with whether or not you're going to bow down to your image. And the image for everybody is different. The image might be sexual immorality. It might be lust. It could be anger. The image could be unforgiveness. It could be lying. 
It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It's whatever image that devil projects before you and he wants you to bow down and worship. And many people do that today. Take, for example, crack and drugs. How many people worship that? Because in essence, when they take those drugs, what they're saying is, you know what? I worship you. Because they're not supposed to do it. They should not do it It, it, because it leads them on a course of destruction. But isn't that how the enemy works? And so the enemy tries to appeal to us. You remember in the Garden of Eden, he did it with Adam and Eve. Well, God didn't really say that you shouldn't take of that fruit because God is really keeping something from you. In reality, if you go ahead and do this, it's really going to be the best thing in your life. You're going to come into a whole nother dimension of understanding that God was trying to keep you from. You see, that's the image. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter number four, Jesus, who being tempted for the days, he was tempted, driven into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted. And the devil comes to Jesus and say, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. If you would just do me a favor, just this one thing, bow down and worship me. Jesus said, no, no, no. Jesus didn't give in like Adam and Eve gave in. Because for Jesus to do that would mean that he would abort his calling and the thing that God had destined for him to do, which involves you and me. How many people bow down to their image? And find themselves wandering through life, trying to figure out how did I end up here? Did you bow down to that image? You see, the image normally appeals to your areas of weakness. We talked about that in recent weeks, how the Bible says that the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they might have life. The the sooner that we can get that revelation, see, this is why we can't, you know, my mom used to say to me, Oh, my goodness. My mom used to say to me, you know, don't play with matches. And I did one time. I got in trouble, didn't I? Don't play with matches because if you play with matches, you're going to burn something up. Listen, here's why we cannot afford to play with sin. Because if we find ourselves playing with this stuff, ultimately it'll lead us to a place where we are little by little beginning to posture ourselves and bow to the image that the enemy is presenting before us. And before long, we're caught. We're trapped. And that's why we got to learn. The Bible says sometimes if you don't know what else to do, just run. Just flee. Just get away from it. Don't even ask any questions. Just look. If you got legs, you can walk. Just, just go. But whatever you do, don't bow down to the image. You, you know, the Bible says that the devil comes like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, he looks for places of weakness. Think about this. The three Hebrew boys, were they not in a place of weakness? I mean, they're exiled from their own land in a strange place. They don't know anybody there. You know, their life pretty much is threatened. They have to do what was told to them. So one would think that they, I mean, they're dependent on them to feed and to take care of them to some extent. They're in a point of weakness. And when Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm making this image, I want you to bow down to it. It was not a request. It was a command. You bow down to this image. And what was he banking on? Because I'm in a position of power. I can make you do it. You see how the enemy behaved? How many know he's a nasty devil? But these folks, they did not give in to that. 
See, we must learn as believers to identify our areas of weakness. So when the devil puts up that image and try to make us bow, we said, no, no, I ain't doing that. I cannot bow to that because for me to bow to that and to do that devil means that I am in a place where I am missing what God wants me to do in my life. I can't afford to do it. How I many know choices are very important? Choices, choices, choices are extremely important. And so we ought to make them with great care. How I many know that bowing down to your image is very costly? It's amazing how when the devil tempts you, he never tells you, you know, like, you know, I was very impulsive, you know. I would, you know, when I first got married, you know, if I just wanted something, I just buy it. You know, I thought about the consequences later. I didn't worry about, you know, because the devil always, what, appeals to your flesh. Oh, come, you can have this. I mean, you work hard. Go ahead and buy that car. Go ahead and, and buy that plasma TV. Go ahead. But he don't come and tell you how that the financial problem is going to put a stress on your marriage and your relationship. He don't tell you how that if you go ahead and you make that decision, he don't tell you how you're going to struggle sometimes, how you're going to find difficulty being able to make it from day to day. All he does is he shows you the good and say, take it because you can get it now. I believe the whole credit system is set up by the devil. <laughs> I just believe that because it gives you instant gratification. You remember Esau sold his birthright. And the Bible said that he wept and he wanted to get it back. For a bowl of soup, the brother was hungry and said, look, my birthright is not that important to me. I want some soup now. You live in a microwave society. Everybody wanted what? Now, today, he sold his birthright, his calling, his destiny for a bowl of soup. And the Bible said that brother wept carefully, tried to get it back, but he couldn't get it because he, he, missed, he missed his opportunity. And so you see how the enemy does. You see, and it, every time we bow down to the image, it costs you something. It's going to cost you in some way. Somehow it's going to cost you. The enemy doesn't tell you that. And so these men, the three Hebrew boys, they understood that to bow down to this image wasn't just an act. It wasn't just a physical act. They, had, they understood there was something, something different. I mean, you're talking, about, you're talking about men of faith. I mean, they, they just say, you know what, we, we ain't going to do this. I pray that if I'm ever in a situation that I'm being challenged in my walk with God to deny Christ, that God will give me the grace to be able to stand strong. I mean, you know, we need a generation of people that are willing to stand up for God, who are not afraid to take a stand for God. We got so many believers today afraid. What if I say this? I don't want to offend nobody. Or, you know, I don't want to make anybody upset. Or they might take this from me. They might take that from me. And we find ourselves hostage. And we never, ever can cross over into what God has for us because we are so afraid what people might say, think, or do to us. But how many know that the real freedom in God is when we come to a point when you die to yourself, when you are not even living where you can care less what people say, that you are so headstrong that you'll say, you know what, God, if I got to be a fool for you, I'll do it. I'll step out on the line. I'll take the next step no matter what. Why? Because I'm not a servant of people. I'm a servant of God. And every time you try to become a servant of people, you're going to lose every single time. We, are, we get our instructions from Almighty God. The three Hebrew boys, they understood that. They had, you see, they, they had a plan that when the image came, you see, they were already ready. How I many know you need to prepare yourself ahead of time? You can't wait till you're up in the thing. 
the already about you messed around. How many know that it's a little bit too late then? But you got it. The Bible says that a wise man, what, foresees the evil, and he does what? Hides himself. Hide yourself. We have a plan that, that you're not going to succumb to the image, that when the devil try to make you bow down to the image, whatever it might be, that you're going to have a plan ahead of time that you're not even going to be positioned whereby you will bow down to that image. See, we need to have a plan. The Hebrew boys are not afraid to disobey the king. How many know that we have the authority to we have the authority to disobey any command that advocates violating the word of God. That our allegiance is first to the kingdom of God. Now, why is this important today? It is so important today because if, you, if your spiritual antennas are up, there's a push today that you can't, they don't want you to say God in any sphere of influence. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in school, whether it's in your neighborhood activities, we are moving into a time and place where it is becoming increasingly more difficult to talk about God. That there is a challenge that people are almost daring you not to say anything about your God. We're moving into that time. And the enemy knows that. But how many know that just like the, in the book of Acts, the apostles, the governmenting officials there, they threatened them and said, look, don't go and preach no more in Jesus' name. Don't preach no more. Don't you preach Christ. They beat him up and said, you better not say another word about Jesus. But what did they say? They said, no, 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 no. They said, uh, you know, that's for you to decide. But for us, we're going to preach the kingdom. You see, you and I have a first, uh, we pledge allegiance to the lamb first. We pledge allegiance to our country second. And so our politics and anything and how we look at life should be filtered through the authority and the kingdom of God. Because our allegiance is to the kingdom. We are ambassadors. We need to stop acting like this is our permanent home. We need to recognize that we are simply ambassadors and we represent another kingdom. The kingdom of almighty God. And so when you're in a strange land, like we are, as a Christian, we're right now in a strange land. What does God want us to do? Because we are called to obey God and do exactly what he says do, in spite of what everything, what everybody else is doing that is around us. We need to have the kind of conviction of soul that we understand and know what our God is saying, so that when he gives us instructions, we'll know exactly what to do. So these three Hebrew boys, they understood that. How many know that we would not bring renewal and revival if we're afraid of what man can do to us? How do we think we're going to reach the world for God? How do we think that people are going to get saved if we're afraid of what people are going to say and do to us? I, I'm telling you, I am just, I am just, I've gotten to a point in my life, and you heard me say this, that I'm already past halftime in my life. I'm past halftime. I got a few more years left. And I'm going to, just like all of you, many of you who are in here, we're going to meet our maker. There's not a whole lot of time to be playing around. I want to hear the faithful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But I want to leave a mark on this world. I want it to be so that when I die, that I want it to be so that there are a thousand people at my funeral. Why do you say that? Because I want my life to count for something. I want to be able to say that I made an impact, that I made a difference in this world for God, for God. Because if we're going to bring renewal and revival, 
we can't be stuck on what people say about us. Folks, we got to be radical. This take, this, we're living in a generation today of people are, are radical. People are radical in their unbelief. They are radical in their sin, and they will double dare you to say anything about their sin. They will double dare you to say anything about their lifestyle. They, they don't want to hear nothing that you have to say. And how many know that in this radical time, we need a radical people of God? I believe God is raising up a radical people who just, who just get, get crazy for God. I'm not talking about lose your mind in a way, but you're just crazy for God, meaning that you just do anything in order to, to affect change in a generation of people, to bring the gospel to the lost is what we are called to do. You see, their faith in God, they didn't waver amid the king's threats. I like 16, verses 16 and 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, they were not concerned about the threats. You know why? Because how many know that there's freedom when you don't fear death? There is a freedom when you come to a place. How many know the Bible says that death has been swallowed up in victory? When Jesus got up from the grave, there is no reason for us to be afraid. There's no reason for us to fear death. And if I don't fear death or what you can physically do to me, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. And what these folks were saying, what these three Hebrew boys were saying, well, look, King, I want you to know something. God will deliver us from the fire of furnace. See, you throwing me in the fire don't intimidate me. Because if you kill me, for me to die is to live with Christ. So you can't do anything to me. You have no power over me. Jesus said, let's say it this way, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it back up. Pilate said to Jesus, you remember, Jesus was about to be crucified. Pilate looked Jesus in the face, and he said to Jesus, do you not talk to me? Do you not know who I am? Do you not understand, Jesus, that I have the power to crucify you? I can kill you right now. And Jesus was silent up to that point. Then he lifted his head. He said, no, no, no. You have no power over me other than what's been given you from above. There was a time, there were times when they wanted to snuff Jesus out, but the Bible said they couldn't get to him because it was not his time. As a blood-bought, born believer, a born-again believer, walking in the favor of God, you will not die before your time. You, you need not to fear death. Why? Because your life and your times are in the hand of God. So, devil, you can't do anything to me. For me to die is gain. So why do we, you know, get all funny and worry about this and who's going to do that? And I don't want to take any risk in life. I mean, no, that the people of faith, they took risks in life. And the reason why they took the risk, because they died to themselves. To die to yourself means that I'm already dead anyway. I'm alive to God. So anything that I do, I do for his glory. And the threat of you, O king, throwing me in the fire, don't intimidate me. So I will go through the fire. Throw me in the fire. The Bible said the king Nebuchadnezzar got so mad. He was in a rage. He turned the heat up seven times hotter. It was so hot that the people that tried to throw him in the fire, they got burned up. You're talking about rage. 
They were angry. How many know when you make a decision for God, when you make a decision to go all the way with God, sometimes people don't get angry. They're going to get mad at you. You remember Stephen the prophet. Stephen, he was preaching Jesus, the first martyr, and they killed him. He started preaching, preaching the gospel. The Bible said that they were pricked to the, they were pricked to the heart, and they started, gnashing. They, were, they started gnashing with their teeth. They were so mad, they charged him, and they killed him because they were so angry that this man was preaching the word of God with such power and with such boldness amid being threats, amid being threatened. But see, when we come to a place in God where we don't fear what people are going to say or do to us, I don't fear death because I know that you can't take my life until God says it's time. You see, my brother-in-law died a couple of weeks ago, and he knew the Lord. But you know what? It wasn't the accident that took him. God took him because God could have stopped it. And if God took him, it was because it was his time to go. It was his time to go. But as one that has been, that, that, that is born again, walking with God, you will not go before your time. Well, see, what the enemy is always trying to threaten you with, don't do this because you might get hurt. You know, don't, 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 don't do that. I mean, you get your feelings hurt or you might get, that's, that's a danger. Don't, go, don't be a missionary. I mean, you can get hurt. You can get killed. So, well, <laughs> I died anyway. Because for me to die, I'm living. The devil can't do anything to you. This was the kind of faith that made those boys look the king inside. That's why they had such a determination. They said, you know what? Do what you want to do. Throw me in the fire. Throw me in the fire because you know what? The worst thing that happened to me is I die. But if I die, it's because God said my time was up. And if I know that I don't go until God says my time is up, I'm free. You can't do nothing to me. I'm like Teflon. You can't touch this. As MC Hammer used to say, you can't touch this. So they did not waver. They did not fear death. They understood. And so they get thrown in the fire. And as they're thrown into the fire, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar and all the governors and everybody else are thinking, oh, they're gone. But King Nebuchadnezzar, they're looking through the fire. And they said, wait, wait, wait. King said, um, did we not throw three of them in there? I see a fourth person up in the fire. God never promised to, that we would live a life of ease, that we wouldn't have to go through the fires of life. But he's promised this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That when you're going through the fire, I don't know what you're going through in your life, but as you're going through the fire, you can rest assured that God is with you in the fire. And he will carry you. He will strengthen you. And he would allow you to go through the fire. You're not alone. The devil always try to tell you where you got. He ain't listening to you. Because if he was, why are you going through the fire? Because see, it's the fires of life that takes us into the glory of God. See, many people want the glory, but they don't want the fire. Many people want the benefits. We want to be out front. But are we willing to put in the, the, the time, the sweat? The difficulty, the hard work in order to achieve a certain, uh, in order to reach the glory of God, the place of promise. The children of Israel was that way until God had to break them from it. They wanted the land of promise easy. They just wanted it, but they didn't want to have to go through all the obstacles, through fiery serpents, a dry desert, having to wait for God to give them water. They didn't want all that. Just take me to my land of promise, God. Take me there. God said, no, I'm going to take you around and you're going to wander for a while because there are some things I got to work out in you. And so God brings us to this place as we read here in the text. 
that these men, they go through the fire. How many know that God is with us? You know, the Bible says that we have this treasure in earth and vessel, that we have all the power of God living down on the inside of us. We are never alone. And so they came through the fire victorious. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished after he saw this. <laughs> and he rose up quickly and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Glory to God. Look at verse 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, watch this now, of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps and administrators, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Glory to God. The hair of their hair was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. And Nebuchadnezzar saying, watch this, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, spoke, saying, but now here's an unbeliever, here's a Gentile, here's a man who don't know God. He said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I'm going to make a decree. I'm going to make a new law that any people, nation, language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. You know, you've heard me say that <laughs> the God is, you see, the fires of life that you and I go through they're not just about us. It's about your neighbor. It's about our children. It's about that friend. It's about the people that we don't necessarily know. The fires that God takes us through is for a witness to somebody else. God is making out of our lives a ministry out of our lives. Because because of these boys, tenacity of faith, that Nebuchadnezzar, and they made a brand new law saying you can't even talk about this God. Because the kind of God that they got, that's the real God. You see, when you and I go through the fires of life, and we will take, we will take a stand for God, the outside, the unbelieving world will look at us and say, I've never seen a God that can deliver like that. I mean, what they had to go through, and they are still rejoicing. They are standing firm in their God. I never, what kind of God is that that they're serving? That he brings them out, he delivers them like that. And because of that testimony, because these men did not bow down to the image, 
Because had they bowed down to the image, they would have never went through the fire. They would have never come to the place where their life is a testimony in a ministry whereby we're reading about it today. We're reading about it because these men decided that I'm not going to bow down to the image. And whenever you make a decision for God and you decided I'm going to stand up for God, guess what will happen? You will get through the fire. But not only will you get through the fire, you're going to come out better than when you were when you went in. And your life is going to be a witness to somebody else. And the other people should be able to look at our God and say, you know what? Wow. I love that God that they're serving. Don't, I can't even say anything bad about that God. Because I, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I ain't never seen a God that can deliver like that. What kind of God are you serving? The question God has for us this morning is, how many people are coming to Christ because of our faith? How many, what kind of testimony or legacy of faith are we leaving? When people think about you, what do they say about you? What is it about your life? What did they say? They, if your name came up, what would they say? Would they say, oh, they love, they love golf. You know, they just love to you know, hang out. They love football. They love basketball. They love, you know, um, having a good time. What, will, what kind of legacy will we leave? I, I would say that the first legacy that we should leave is a man that those people serve a God that is absolutely incredible, that I've never seen a God that can deliver like their God can. Because, see, I remember how that person used to be. I always say that about my brother. I remember how he used to be. And when people look at his life and he go back home, they say, what, what happened to you? What God are you serving to change you like that? And so... And so our faith, and so when we don't bow down to the image, then what is really happening there is God is setting us up to be a ministry and a witness to somebody else. And so with that in mind, that's why the Bible says we can count it all joy when you fall into different trials and temptations. Why? Because it's bringing you to a place of blessing, not only just for you, but for other people. Because that's what our faith is all about. If we simply set on this faith and we are content with just going to heaven ourselves and not trying to reach out. And how many know that too many of us as Christians are too comfortable with just going to heaven? We always want another word. We always want a deeper revelation. We always want something. But how many of us are willing to step out and go and get somebody and bring them to the kingdom of God? That we should never, ever rest I have any peace in our lives unless somebody else can experience this goodness that God has bestowed upon us. One of the things I like about Emmanuel, and he's not here. We, some of us know Emmanuel, and he comes from time to time. had not visited in a while. But Emmanuel, he's kind of you know, got some beliefs that I don't quite always in sync with. But when I'm working out at the gym or when I'm anywhere and I see that man, he just goes out. He's always sharing God. He's always talking about the Lord. I mean, it doesn't matter. A, a guy could be in the middle of doing some, some arm curls. Bench pressing. He over there talking about Jesus Christ. And I would see him throughout the whole, the whole time I'm there. He's just walking around just sharing. He's working out, but he's just walking around telling people about the love of God. And you know what? And he's gotten to a point he just don't care. He could care less what people say or think about him. Because he understands that, you know what, I'm already dead anyway. 
I'm already dead, so my life is for God. So I'm willing to be sacrificed. I'm willing for, for people to look at me, laugh at me, talk about me, and say that I'm stupid. I'm even willing to risk being kicked out of the gym. If I can get one, pe- one person to the kingdom, I'll do that. But here we are. We're just so content. We're just getting spiritually fat. But the world around us, they don't care because they, you know, they think we're just holy rollers. We're just people that are just going through the motions. We're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to reach out. How many know we need to reach out? Because that's why we have what we have. And that's why God gave us the opportunities that we have. So let's make the best of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the faith and the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, don't let us be content any longer. Sometimes, Father, we are just so content with just living our own Christian life and going to heaven, and we don't think about other people that are dying. We just tend to forget. We don't mean to, God, but sometimes we get so caught up in trying to live our life, trying to pay our bills and trying to deal with the children and, and trying to you know, go to work and trying to you know, to juggle all of these things, we lose sight of the big picture. And Father God, everything that you've given us is not just for us, but it's for those who, Father, have been ordained into the kingdom. Now, Father, we're asking that you would use us. Father, there are some folks out there today that we're going to come into contact with, whether it's at a mall or whether it's at a convenience store or whether it's in the parking lot, and they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. Father, I'm asking that you would give us the courage to tell them about how you have changed our lives. Lord, I just pray that there will be an unsettledness in our hearts, that we will just be just every day, Holy Spirit, that you would just remind us to tell somebody about the love of God. Because, Father God, we don't want another person going to hell, and they're dying and going to hell every day. While we're standing in church, we're raising our hands, we're praising, and we're getting our knees met, we're blessed. But, Lord, we're not reaching out the way that we should. Forgive us, Father, for those times when we've taken that for granted. And help us, O Lord, to be mindful of the bigger picture, and that is reaching the lost for you. And that the faith that you're building in us is strengthening us so that we can be more fruitful. And that is what we're after, Lord. So, Father, continue, Lord. I thank you for this testimony of these men who went through the fire. And some of us are going through the fire. And now, Father, we have confidence to know that as we are going through the fires of life, that, Father, that you're going to bring us through the fire. And we're consoled to know that you are with us in the midst of the fire, as you said that you are and would be. You said you would never leave us. We embrace that reality right now. And I pray, Father, that you would give us fresh opportunities, fresh opportunities to share the love of God with people, Lord, who don't know you and that they might come into relationship with you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to.